Hey, glad you're here today at Calvary Chapel of Battle Creek. Welcome to you on Facebook. Welcome to you that come to our website and watch this. Uh, we're continuing our teaching in Matthew, and I want to uh, just remind you that in Matthew, we're learning how to live as kingdom of God people in an evil world. This week, we're going to be talking about the faith rest life in a world of turmoil. Now, every single person in here is living in some sort of turmoil. And if you're not in turmoil now, wait till tomorrow. <laughs> it will come to your house. So Matthew chapter 17, 14 through 21, if you would stand as we read the word of God together. We honor God by standing when we read his word. And when he had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he has an epileptic sufferings severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. This is the word of God. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word. Lord, it's a privilege. It is an honor to study the word of God corporately, that we can learn more and more about you, apply what we learn to our lives, and live differently in this world because we have come in contact with the God of heaven. Thank you for this time together. Open our hearts and our minds. Holy Spirit, please do your work in each one of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, the theme of Matthew is Jesus is the coming king. And I know we cannot wait for the king to come. At least I cannot wait. Now, last time we, we met, we talked about the transfiguration. Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he ex his eternal glory was exposed to the disciples. Remember, we talked about Jesus being the I Am. Seven times in the book of John, it says Jesus is the I Am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine, and you are the branches. The I Am. And we emphasize the significance of that word, I Am. I want you to realize who you are following in, when we're following our God. He is not just a little bit bigger than us. He is God Almighty, the creator of all things. He is not in time. He is out of time. When Moses went to the people, when, when, was going to be setting the people of Israel free through the, power, the, through the power of God, he asked God, what shall I tell them your name is? And God says, you tell them the I am has sent you. I am that I am. Remember, you live in the past, I was. You live in the present, I am. You live in the future, I will be one day. God lives in the eternal now. He is the I am. That is why he said he was the I am. I have a picture here for you to help explain this. God is outside of time. He inhabits all of this time life. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. That is who our God is. Jesus is God. He claimed to be God by saying he was the I Am. 
Now, remember this because God is in eternity past. He's in the present. He's in the future. He's in all of this. This is all the eternal now for God. There is no time that God does not exist in because he transcends time. He is outside of time. There is no place that God is not. If I go to the heavens, you are there, David said. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn and settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We serve a God that is an amazing God. Now remember when Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he had three guys that were with him. His inner circle was with him. Peter, James, and John. Peter, James, and John were, had the privilege of being there when Jairus was, was raised. Jairus' daughter was raised from the dead. At Gethsemane, the inner circle was there. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the inner circle was there. And I want to suggest to you there's something about this inner circle that Jesus was, was, was inputting into. And I have a circle here. The next slide is just going to show, demonstrate this. And this is significant. In our lives, we have a circle of influence. There's an outer circle, 100, 120 people. That might be like your church. You have a casual relationship with a, with a larger number of people. And then it gets pared down to 10 or 15 people. This might be your home group or your Sunday school class or something like that, the circle of influence. And then there's this inner circle of intimacy, three to five people in your life that you care most about, that you're most kindred with, and that is what Jesus had, was an inner circle that he was inputting into. Now, think about this. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he was transfigured or he was transformed into his godlike state. The glory of God shone around him. The glory of God was bursting forth. And I want to suggest to you, the moment you were born again and brought into the family of God, your transformation started. Your transformation officially occurred when you said yes to Jesus. You were, were, you were in the kingdom of God, washed by the blood of the Lamb, part of the family of God, but then you were in a process of transformation, being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Remember Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we're being transformed into the image of Christ, transformed. I urge you, brother, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, its ways, its system, but be transformed, that metamorpho. It's the same word that was used when Jesus was transfigured. Change from the inside out by the renewing of your mind. Folks, that's the second phase of salvation, that's sanctification, where we're being more and more like Jesus and less and less like us. Now, on a Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus was transformed. You're being transformed. And I would suggest to you that every single person born again into the family of God is born again to be changed, never staying the same. Folks, we're on a growth mission here. Now, I'm adamant about this because when you were saved, you were delivered from the kingdom of darkness, put into the kingdom of light. You served in the past the king of darkness, Satan. Now you serve the king of kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. You had a worldview in the past that was a secular worldview, a humanistic worldview. Now you view things through the lens of Scripture. You view things through the lens of how the Holy Spirit is revealing truth to you. And I actually have a little bit of picture, a slide here for you. Now remember this as this next slide comes up. A worldview is how the lens in which you see your world. Your doctrine or your teaching 
what you have been taught in life determines your worldview. Your worldview will then determine your values, how you, the values that you take into the culture around you. Your values will determine your conduct within the culture. Now, I want you to think about this. When you got saved, you, had, you started with a belief system. You're being transformed in the image of Christ. And this whole circle is changing what you were in the past, what is good, what is true, what is real. The worldview that we have, our beliefs, our values, our behaviors, everything changes when Jesus comes into your life. Folks, if you're not being changed, you have to question whether you're really in the family of God. You really do. And 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this very clearly. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know that you belong to God unless you have been adocimos, disqualified, not genuine? So that, so that every person is to examine, am I really in the faith? Is change really occurring in my life? That is a very significant point, and I keep, uh, keep saying that. Now, I want you to also think about this. The moment you believed was the greatest miracle that you'll ever see. People get, you know, people are healed of this or healed of that, and the lame walk and the blind see and the deaf hear and that sort of thing. But when you were born again, you were taken from death to life. That was a miracle. I want you to, to see what a miracle is. It'll come up on the next slide. And it says a miracle can be, be defined as a periodic and temporary interference with the laws of nature. And I might add, as established by God. That, the pres that God's presence, power, and purpose might be understood. Now, on the Mount of Transfiguration, think about the miracles. Think about the miracles that these three inter inner circle guys saw. They saw Jesus' glory exposed. They entered into the Shekinah glory of God. Remember, the, the cloud hovered over them. The glory of God shone around them. They saw Moses and Elijah, guys that have been gone for 500 or plus years on the Mount of That's a miracle. That's a miracle. And then they heard the most significant thing, the voice of God. I remember when they heard the voice of God, what they did, they fell down trembling at the voice of God. When they heard God, folks, I want you to just think about God. He is fantastic. He is an amazing God. He, is, he, is, he transcends everything. We serve a God that is all-powerful, all-present, has all wisdom, has all knowledge, that is who we serve. That's what these guys were falling down in fear of. Now, I want you to also think about fear for just a second. Fear came into the human genome at the fall. Remember in Genesis chapter 3, verse 10, Adam said these words, I was afraid. God says, where were you, Adam? He knew where he was. Adam says, I was afraid because he had fallen. He had sinned. He has sinned. And this fear gene, this worry thing, has entered into our lives, and each one of us has to deal with it. Jesus, and actually in Matthew chapter 6, four times says, don't worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. Culminating in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, with these words. And you tell me if you don't do this. Do not worry about tomorrow. Now take a pause there. How many people... Do not worry about tomorrow. I mean, usually there's something coming up in your life.
that you're tremulous about. Jesus says, don't do that. For tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus saying, live in the present. Live in the present. Live in, in where you are right now, trusting God for that moment and into the future. The fear-worry moments are assuaged when you come close to God, you cry out to Jesus, and you feel Jesus touch you like he touched those disciples on the mountain. Fear not, for I am with you. Now, they come down from the mountain. Many people think it is Mount Harmon, where the Mount of Transfiguration was. The mountain is not actually described in Scripture. It just happens to be close to where he was. And they come down from the mountain. And how many people realize that you cannot live on the mountain? You live in the valley. You live on the plains of life. And Jesus will reconnect with the rest of the group. And the rest of the group is having a problem because they can't cast out a demon. And we're going to be talking about the faith rest life in a world of turmoil. Verse 14 through 16, doubt, folks, is the enemy of faith. I want to take a pause here for just a second. Every person in here at some point has had some level of doubt creep into them. The encouragement is, is don't live in doubt. Don't nurture doubt. Go back to the basics. Review where you have been with God. Review who God is. Review who Jesus is. Review the resurrection of Jesus, the eyewitness testimony. Remember the miracles that Jesus did, the changed lives of Jesus. Remember prophecy, fulfilled prophecy being the only book in the world that has fulfilled prophecy is the Bible. No other world religions has any. You go back to the basics if you have doubt. These disciples, I think, are doubting. Verse 14, And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic, suffering severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. And I think the reason you're going to find out, as we just read, is doubt. Doubt, their unbelief, doubt. Now, what is faith? What is faith? Well, the word is pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S. And it means being persuaded, confidence in certain divine truths, confidence in God. True faith is this, believing in and trusting God through it all. Hebrews 11.1 1 says it perfectly. Without, with, now, faith is being sure of what we, what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, I want you to think about true faith, sure of what we hope for, certain of what we do not see, and contrast that with false faith that is taught in James. James chapter 2, three times we see faith without works is dead. Do you know that Martin Luther did not like the book of James? Because Martin Luther was dealing with salvation by faith, by, by grace through faith in Christ alone. But remember, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 goes on to say, and we were, we, were, we were created for good works in Christ Jesus. So once you're saved, you're expected to do good works. You are not saved by your works. You're not ingratiated to God by your works. You're as holy and as pure as you're ever going to be the moment you say yes to Jesus. That's his imputed righteousness is credited to you. But we are called to do good works. We belong to the master. And if we're serving the master, we're going to automatically want to please him. By working for him. So Jesus and his inner circle descend to the plains. 
and face a multitude that is in turmoil. The issue the disciples could not cure an epileptic. Now, that word epileptic means moonstruck. Moonstruck. Now, Robert Dean in his teaching has a slide here that will come up on the screen. And it's this. This moonstruck is this word. I'll pretend I know it. Celianomabaldi. <laughs> you don't think, how do you pronounce that word? Okay. Selene is the Greek goddess of the moon. The Latin word is luna, but we can at least get this. To be moonstruck was to be a lunatic or loony. This had to do everything with demon possession. Demon possession. This was not epilepsy. It was demon possession. Jesus, now there's something strange here. His disciples could not cast out this demon. But a year prior, he gave them power to cast out demons. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8 says this. As you go out, preach saying, and remember sending them out two by two. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. We see in Luke chapter 10 that they come back cheering and, and all full of just glorious praise to God because even the demons were subject to them. But now they're not. What has changed? And I want to suggest to you what has changed is when they went out, Jesus was at the peak of his popularity. People were flocking to him in droves. But then the opposition started. The opposition against Jesus is crescendoing now. We're about six months from the cross. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, everybody, they hate him. They want him dead. And I think the disciples are feeling this pressure that is coming against Jesus and secondarily coming against them. That's what they're feeling. Opposition brings tension, which can bring doubt. Doubt. I want you to think about this. This tension and doubting can come into your life. It goes something like this. All of my family members think I'm crazy. I'm moonstruck. I'm a lunatic because I believe in this Jesus stuff. My friends think I'm crazy. They think I'm all wrong about Jesus. I'm worshiping the wrong Jesus. He's too rigid. He's too rigid. He, Jesus would, that I worship lets me do anything that I want and gives me high fives for, for, for doing what I want. I can live in No, that's not the right Jesus. Can the majority be all wrong about your Jesus? Now, listen to this. It is doubtful that the majority are ever correct. Let's say that again. It is doubtful that the majority are ever correct. Why? They belong to the kingdom of darkness. They are representing their king. We are in the minority, folks. They decided on the minority. With opposition comes doubt. Doubt. And I want to suggest to you that even the disciples who saw the resurrected Jesus, when they met with him in Galilee after his resurrection, even some of them doubted. They bowed down and worshiped when they saw him. But then it goes on to say, and some doubted. That is an amazing statement to me. They saw all these miracles, yet some doubted. With opposition comes doubt. That'll come up on your screen. Doubting what was previously believed. Now, you're getting pressure all the time. Is this really the infallible, inerrant word of God? Or does this, really, or does this just contain some truths 
some things that you can kind of pick through, like, like a little smorgasbord of what, your, what truths resonate with you. Or is this really the truth? That's what the culture is dealing with today. That's what they're telling you, that this really isn't the Word of God. It's written by men. How could it possibly be the Word of God? Well, the Bible says in 2, Corinthians, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is God-breathed. That God-breathed is theonuptos, nuptos, spirit, <sighs> breathed by God, and it's useful rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed, God-breathed. And the question that, that, that gets constantly put on us, is this true? Is your Jesus the only way? Are you really on the right road? Are you following the, the right path? Now, a lot of this is coming out because seminaries are teaching pastors that this is not the infallible word of God. Watch what's happening. There'll be a picture that comes up on the screen. This is from the Barna group. And Barna did this recently. The percentage of Christian pastors that possess a biblical worldview. Now, the pastors are supposed to be, have some solidness in them. Okay, some grounding in them compared to the regular population. But look at this. 37% of all of them, when you amalgamate all of them, believe it. A senior and lead pastor is only 41%. Associate pastors, 28%. Then it goes down to teaching pastors, youth pastors, executive pastors that have a biblical worldview. That is what is coming out of seminaries today into pulpits, into areas of influence, and you're wondering why churches are imploding, turning away from the true God. So, doubting Christians compromise their heretofore held beliefs and adapt something that is comfortable for them. Something that allows them to fit in with the morals of the culture. Allows them to live the way that they want to live. To fit into the declining morals of the culture. And this is happening into the so-called church where there's a free fall from the precepts and the principles of the Word of God. We term this word apostasy. Apostasy a falling away from true biblical faith resulting in compromise, a compromised belief system. Now, I have a picture for you. Now, I, I have to just caution you. I had two weeks to do this because Jason taught last week, and thank you, Jason, for teaching. did a wonderful job. And when I have too much time, I'm, I'm getting these, all these things, and my mind's just going. I'm saying, I can get this in here. I can get this in here. And I overloaded the system so we had to change how we presented it. But anyway, it won't be this many next week because I won't have two weeks. But I, I thought this was, was, was interesting. Apostasy, falling away from biblical truth, true Christianity. Then we start, the Bible is not infallible. Not, we're not made in God's image. There's no miracles, no virgin birth, no deity. And it goes all the way down to someone starts here and ends up an atheist, a non-believer. Philosophically, the stairs continue to fall. People start to embrace evolution, vain philosophies. From that comes the emergent church, which is quite popular today. And then we have a social justice church that has emerged. The new apostolic reformation, prosperity, mysticism, embracing homosexuality. And it ends up following this guy right here, the Antichrist. That's where it's all going, folks. This one world government that has a leader, the Antichrist. 
apostasy. And we know, because of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3, that there will be an apostasy in the church. There will be a falling away from true belief. And people will be embracing things that you would have never thought would have been embraced in the church. Now, I've read this before to you. You've heard this verse multiple times, but you're going to hear it multiple plus one today. And that is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Watch what it says. But know this. Know this church. Know this, everyone in earshot of this. Know this. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. That in the last days, perilous times will come. It's not getting better and better here, folks. It's getting worse and worse here. For men will be lovers of themselves. Have you ever seen such much, so much self-love in your life? I mean, you know, athletes score a touchdown and it's all about me and, you know, pounding their chest and that sort of thing. Proud, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Has there ever been a culture that the children have been, there's been so much anarchy in homes. Has there ever been a culture that way? Because we've kicked God out of the home. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, holding grudges, slanders without self-control. That means you're never satisfied. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, loyal to no one but self, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, it crescendos into this one. Verse 5. Now, hear this. Having a form of godliness, an outward shape of godliness, but denying its power. And then it says very specifically, from such people turn away, have nothing to do with them, flee from them. This is what we see today all over the place. So many stay in compromised situations, compromised churches, because that's where I grew up. That's where my friends are. That's where my mom and dad go. So I think I'll just stay there compromised, not hearing and being taught the word of God, not hearing and being taught the truth. Because the majority say it's okay. What do, we, what do we know? It is doubtful that the majority are ever correct. Ever correct. Many Christians are double-minded, vacillate in their opinions about Jesus, go back and forth about Jesus. The vast majority of churches in America and the West, folks, are moonstruck, loony. No one, now hear this statement, no one can throw out biblical teaching. You cannot take this Bible out of a group of people and have them not be loony. It cannot happen. This must be our focus. Talks about the true God. The principle is this. Persistent doubt, folks, is the enemy of faith. Now, in verse 17 and 18, Jesus is going to deal really sternly with this. Sternly with the faithless. 17 and 18. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless, unbelieving, and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? He knows his time is short. He's six months before the cross. How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Make no mistake whom he's really directing this, this message to. 
This is his disciples. These are the ones that, that face the opposition and, and their, their faith was crumbling. That's who he's talking to. Jesus taught these disciples. He modeled for these disciples the way to live. He performed miracle after miracle. Now listen, in the book of John, there are seven signs of the gospel. Seven signs, and it'll come up on the screen. Seven signs that Jesus did. He turned water into wine at the Feast of Canaan. He healed the, 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 the nobleman's son, the official son. He healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida. He fed 5,000. He walked on water. Now, you would think if you saw somebody walk on water, that would get your attention, and you remember that for the rest of your life, and you're, the one who did that, you're going you're to follow him and not the opposition. He healed a blind man born from, birth, from birth, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. These guys saw all of this. They saw it. They lived this with Jesus, yet they doubted. Folks, that got me to thinking about something. Seeing is not believing. Believing is of the heart, of the heart. G. Campbell Morgan, there'll be a slide here for this. G. Campbell Morgan says this, seeing is not believing, seeing is seeing, and believing is being confident without seeing. Now, remember your Bible stories. Remember Thomas. Now, you remember Thomas because there's always prefaced with doubting Thomas. After the resurrection, Jesus appears to the, to the ten disciples. Thomas is absent. Judas is already gone. He's probably dead by that point, hung himself. So Jesus is dealing with the ten. They are excited. They tell Thomas, we've seen the resurrected Jesus. Thomas says, I don't, I don't believe this. I'm doubting you guys. Next week, eight days later, Thomas is in the room. Jesus comes through the walls into the room and he approaches Thomas. He says, Thomas, put your hand in my side. Thomas, touch my nail prints. And Thomas says to Jesus at that point, my Lord and my God. Because he saw. And Jesus says these words. Thomas, you see and believe, but blessed are those who see and have, who, who believe and have not seen. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. The disciples saw plenty. They saw plenty. They struggled with unbelieving. They struggled with their faith. Jesus' words to his disciples and to the multitude are filled with emotion in verse 17. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? You know what that word bear with you is? Put up with you. That's what that really is. Jesus is a little bit tense with them right here. He's admonishing them. They saw much, so they had, there were much expectations of them. They were taught much, there was much expectations of them. They had many experiences. The disciples had the power to do, but their lack of faith nullified their power. Doubt negates faith. God expects his children to trust him, whether the miracle occurs or not. We are to trust our God. And I would suggest to you that when we do not trust God, that grieves the spirit of God. That grieves the spirit of God. A believer's lack of faith does not please God. 
Hebrews 11.6, it'll come up on the screen. It'll tell you specifically, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe. Let that register, must believe that he exists, that he is who he says he is, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Jesus expects believers to trust him. We please our God when we trust him in those difficult, why impossible moments of our lives. Now, in verse 19 through 21, the faithless unbelief problem. Verse 19, then the disciples came to Jesus privately. They want to get away from the multitudes. <laughs> they want this, they've been scolded. They want to get Jesus off by himself. They don't want to get scolded anymore in front of the multitude. Get by yourself. And said, why could we not cast it out? And watch Jesus. He's straight up with them. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. He didn't pat him on the head and say, you're okay. It was, you know, you just poor little guys. No, you should have believed because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, this obstacle in your life, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Now, Take a pause here. If you have an NIV, a New American Standard, an ESV, or any of the newer translations, verse 21 is not in your Bible. It comes from the Alexandrian text, the oldest text. That's where those translations come from. It is in the King James and the New King James, which comes from the majority text. But I will cover it anyway, because it has great principles in it. So it actually has an A in rating that it really wasn't part of the original scriptures. But it has some principles to go by, so we will cover it. Now, listen to this. To some extent, all of us suffer from an unbelief problem from time to time. And unbelief is, it means not trusting or believing in God's power to do. Even a little faith, tiny mustard seed faith, can move mountains. Now, let's take a pause here. It depends on who is the object of your faith. I'm going to go elaborate on that more in just a second. But I have a picture here. Now, just think about your mustard seed faith, this little bit of faith. I have mustard seed faith, a little teeny faith, and I love this, and I'm not afraid to use it either. <laughs> a little teeny seed on your finger. I mean, I love that picture. I'm not afraid to use my faith. Hear that, demonic world. Hear that world that I live in. I have, if I have mustard seed faith, I'm not afraid to trust my God. And no matter what situation I am in, mustard seed faith, faith in God. Jesus tells his disciples then and now, point blank in verse 20. Let me say this again. If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, does that mean you can have everything that you want when you want it? You just say the words. We'll cover that in just a second. First, this point. Nothing will be impossible does not mean we have what we want when we want. There's something called word faith, where you speak your words into reality. Folks, that is not what this is talking about. 
That is not what this is talking about. Nothing is impossible. It's all about your faith surrendering to the will of God. I hope you know that. We want God's will to be done. Not my will, God's will to be done. That is the important point. We will not and must not have everything we ask for. We only have partial knowledge. Folks, I am so selfish, I'll ask for things that are absolutely inappropriate. inappropriate. I mean, it is great that God does not give me everything that I want. If he gave you everything that you wanted, what would you be? I wish I would have had a picture of this. A spoiled baby. A little spoiled baby wanting everything your way, when I want it. That's what we would be. We're too depraved and selfish in this state that we're in right now to be trusted with that kind of power. I hope you realize that. God sees all. God knows all. We must trust the one that has all knowledge. And remember this, God always does what is right, even if we do not understand it. I don't understand people why there are accidents and why there's murders and why there's all this stuff and why it happens to certain people. And it comes to your house, you will struggle with this. You will. The key point in here, I don't see clearly. I must believe and have faith. And remember, Romans 8.28 is true. God does work out all things for good for those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. This verse has helped people through the ages go through all kinds of messes and not abandon their faith. Don't abandon your faith because something tragic has happened in your life. A true story is this. Hear this. Near the end of World War II, members of the Allied forces were often found searching farms and houses for snipers. At, at one abandoned house, which had been reduced to rubble, searchers found their way to the basement. There, on a crumbling wall, a victim of a holocaust had scratched a star of David and beneath it wrote these words. I believe in the sun even when it doesn't shine. Now, you live in Michigan. You kind of understand that, don't you? I mean, it's still there. The sun is there. I believe in love even when it is not shown. And I believe in God even when he does not speak, even when he's silent, even when I cannot sense him. I believe in God. Faith is believing in God in the impossible to know moments of life, the why moments of life. And I would suggest to you something I think is really important. Be very careful with being angry with God. We have partial knowledge, folks. Partial knowledge. There's going to be a picture that comes up on the screen. It's going to be a mirror, and it's going to be a cracked mirror. And I'm going to share with you 1 Corinthians 13, 12. And this is the truth. Now we see, but a poor reflection is in a mirror. It's all cracked. I'm making opinions about God by this cracked thing that I can't see clearly. Then we shall see face to face when I am in heaven. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully as I am fully known. Then we will have knowledge. Then we will know. And you know what? When we get to heaven, we're just going to say, God was right. God was right. God was right. God was right. Now I understand. Now I understand. We will not see clearly until we are in heaven out of this depraved state in our glorified state. You know what the glorified state is? You know what it is. The state of perfection. 
where we have expanded knowledge. Now, Psalm 37.4 is often used by Christians to get whatever you want. It says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Now, you must understand something. Psalm 37, well, I'll do it this way. Psalm 37, 4. It starts out in full context. We must look at the context surrounding these verses. Okay, that's number one. Always context. Context, context, context. You get the context of something before you can make an opinion about it. It starts out with this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it says in verse 5, trust in him. Trust also in him. It says in verse 7 that we are to rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. That implies I am trusting him. When you're thinking God's not moving fast enough, he's, I need you to do this right now, God. Right now. He knows where you are. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. And then he says this, do not fret in verse 8. Do not fret. Cease, cease from your anger. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Folks, embedded in this verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart, is this. It's all about God's will, not my will. My will must be conformed to the will of God. It must be conformed to the will of God. Now, verse 21. Again, not found in the earliest manuscripts. Not found in the earliest manuscripts, but I will develop it because it has some great principles in it. He says, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. For you, living in a changing world, prayer and fasting are going to be a requirement for you to live out the faith rest life. Things are changing rapidly around us, more rapid than any time in our history. In our history. Prayer connects the believer with God Fasting disconnects us from the world. Those principles are important. It seems that Jesus' disciples did not make Jesus the focus of their faith. Their focus was on what they could see and what was going on around them. Their focus was on the opposition. Now, take a hard stop. What do we focus on? What we see. What we hear. What in the world are they going to say on CNN now? What are they going to say on Fox News now? What is, going to, what is Biden going to say now? And we tribulate. Don't, don't listen to any of them. You'll be safer. At crunch time, the tendency is to focus on the wrong object, myself. Me, myself, and I. This is a faith crusher. I will never understand everything that's going on around me. I must trust in God. At crunch time, we must not have faith in faith. We must have faith in God. Let me say that again. We must not have faith in faith. There's people that just have, I'm just putting my faith in faith to practice. No, my faith is in God. God must be the object of our faith. Believe in, trust in God for the impossible. So I'm going to make a statement. It's going to come up on the screen. The cure, cure for unbelief, the not trusting in God's power to do, is faith. Is faith. 
being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, we walk by faith and not by sight. There's another scripture that says the righteous shall live by faith. And in Hebrews 10, 38, my righteous one will, will live by faith. And if he or she shrinks back, cowers in a corner, gets out of sight, I will not, I will not be pleased with him. I will not be pleased with that person who shrinks back, cowers, is out of action, out of sight. I will not be pleased with him. We must settle this in our minds. Settle it. I do not care what something looks like, smells like, sounds like, whatever. I trust in my God. So closing thoughts on the faith, faith rest life in a world of turmoil. Now, we've learned some things about faith. You probably already knew this because you guys are all great Bible students. But we have discussed what faith is. Confidence in God. I trust him, trust him, trust him. And again, the messes of life are real. The problems come in waves. The waves of life, they come at you one wave after another after another. And you can feel overwhelmed. We want to learn, we want to know, how do I deal with these situations? God also does this. He graces us in the book of John. He says he graces us over and over and over. So when you're feeling the misery, remember God's grace, his favor is countering those, those, those waves of mess that are coming into your life on a continual basis. We have discussed the importance of having faith. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. We've discussed why Jesus was irritated with his followers. Unbelief, their lack of faith. Jesus has an expectation of those who are his to trust him through all of the impossibles of life. In trusting, you will find the faith rest life. Now, I want you to think about something. With information comes responsibility. You know that, don't you? Please, hopefully you know that. With knowledge comes responsibility. I'm thinking something that this, that, that having faith, I'm thinking about having faith, that's not going to do it. I'm hoping something will turn out, that doesn't do it. I'm wishing this will turn out, that's not going to do it. Faith is saying, I'm believing God no matter what. It, however it turns out, good, bad, or ugly, I am going to enter into his rest. I'm going to enter into his peace. I'm going to trust him no matter what comes my way. Folks, we're out of here soon. Now, if you're 20 years old, this isn't cheery to you. But if you're older, that's like, yay. If you're middle-aged, you're getting to know that's a yay. That's a yay. The faith rest life is trusting God no matter what. No shrinking back. No shrinking back. The world cannot understand this. The world can understand this. Faith is not pie in the sky positive thinking. Me mustering up positive thoughts. That's not faith. Faith is simply trusting God in situations that seem impossible. 
Faith is trusting God even when things do not work out as I desired or hoped for. And again, I'm going to repeat this again. I think this should be indelibly imprinted in our minds. Our faith in God pleases God. Hebrews 11.6, again, without faith, it is impossible to please God. We must walk by faith and not by sight. You know that Noah built an ark by faith. In the middle of a desert, never rained, never been a flood. He's warning all these people for decades that a flood's coming. You know, get on the ark, believe God. They thought he was nuts. By faith, Abraham obeyed God, left Ur of the Chaldeans. That's uptown living, folks. That is, that is opulent living. And was told by God, go dwell in the wilderness for the rest of your life. And by the way, tell Sarah she's going to, and the kids, we're all going together. Try that one on your wife. Try that. By faith, he did that. He believed God. By faith, Moses led the people through the desert. He had some down times there where he wavered. But by faith, basically he did it. By faith, these believers believed God and pleased God. Folks, we are in trying times now. There has never been a more trying time for this nation since the revolution. There has never been a threat on the union as there is today. There was a civil war, but there wasn't a threat on the existence of the nation as it existed. There is today a threat on America today. Do you know that the Secretary of State Blinken suggested that we blend America with Canada, America, and South America and just make it one great big nation? That's what we're presented with today. Open borders, open everything, and America's gone. Its values are gone. That's what we are facing. Uncertain times. They were living in uncertain times also. Think of Noah. No one experienced a transition like that one. We're seeing our world change before our eyes. We are living in the closing hours of time. This will come up on the screen. As we know it on our planet, we must walk by faith and not by sight. Jesus told us exactly what to expect. Like it would be like the days of Noah. Genesis 6, 5. Then the Lord saw this. And you tell me if this isn't in spades today. Saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. And that every intent and thoughts of the heart was on evil continually. Folks, there's never been a time where homosexuality has been embraced like it is today. It's always throughout the world. It's always been a behind-the-scenes thing. Homosexual marriage. It's not marriage. God ordains marriage between a man and a woman. Now, if you, if you just believe what the Bible says, you're looked at as a hater. No. If we tell people the truth, that is love. That is a love message. That is not hate. It's the antithesis of hate. It is love. We don't want you to be separated from God. That is sin. How about transgenderism? That's accepted. And it even gets more, more bizarre. We have kids going to school identifying as cats. And in the school, the teachers are putting out kitty litter for them. That 
is madness. That is madness. That is happening in our world today. This is the trajectory of our world today at war with the true God. Ignoring God, despising God. The faith rest life is a requirement to navigate through these times of change. Or else you're going to tribulate, you're going to capitulate, and you're going to compromise. You must walk this out by faith. The faith rest life is required as you go through the normal changes of life. You don't even have to have this stuff going on. You're living in a fallen world. You need God to help you through this normal stuff that happens in your life. And then the faith rest life is available to you today. Moment by moment, you can choose. You are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. The majority of you are. There might be some non-believers in here, but the vast majority are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can choose moment by moment. You can choose faith over fear. Faith over fear. Now, I have a picture here to help you remember this. Tell me if this isn't what we do. Let your faith be bigger than your fear. And you smile. Then you go, oh, I'm not believing. Oh, yeah, yes, I'll believe. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm not going to believe anymore. Yes. Settle it. Yes. I will trust in the Lord until I die. That is what you want to do. I will settle it. Settle it. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it sounds like. I will trust my God until I am out of here. In living the faith rest life, we experience the peace of God and rest in God. It's really this simple. It's one step at a time. One situation at a time. I don't have to project into the future. I just deal with what is ahead of me. Step by step by step. Moment by moment. I don't have to know all the details. Matter of fact, you don't want to know all the details. You don't want to know exactly what's coming in your life. I simply trust the one I'm following step by step. And I have steps up here. It's going to come up here. Step by step, indelibly imprinted in your mind. Step by step, we walk through this with God. I'm going to the hospital, step by step. I'm going through this situation, step by step. Step by step. Our nation, as you know, is becoming darker running from God, chaos, change, and turmoil abound. I think you would agree with that. You're reasonably intelligent people all through here. You have some information that has come into you. You know it's not right. Now, I want you to think about this. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, there is a section that is called Blessings and Curses for the Nation of Israel. If you do these things, God will bless you. If you do these things, you will be cursed. And the warning is significant. There's one-third of, of those verses are about blessings, and two-thirds are warnings about curses. And he says in Deuteronomy 28, 28, these words that happen to a person, to a nation that turns away from the true God and worships the idols or the things of this world. He says this, I will strike you. I will strike you, America. I will strike you, individual person, with bl madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. Think about that. God says, you don't want me. I will strike you, nation of Israel. I will strike you, America. 
with madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. Look, at no one in the history of this nation would be embracing the immorality that we see today unless there was madness, blindness, and confusion of heart in this nation. God has given the nation over to what they want. There is a small group that says, no, I will serve my God. I will speak the truth. I will not live by lies. I will be salt and light in this culture. I will strike you with madness, blindness, and confusion of heart. And the next slide says it perfectly. It is a mad, mad, mad world. And people are falling off, going into an eternity of hell, because we are afraid to say homosexuality is wrong. Transgenderism is wrong. Abortion, under the guise of women's reproductive rights, is wrong. Open borders is wrong. Marxist ideologies are wrong. The social justice system, the social justice gospel is wrong. There's part for social parts in it, but it's, it's the saving gospel that we focus on. And from that comes the social aspect. It's twisted, it's turned. And people are going to hell because people are afraid to tell them the truth. Because you get labeled as crazy, intolerant, weird, strange. In the midst of chaos, faith steps are essential to not become moonstruck, loony. I'm going to give you a picture today of this man. There's a man here that will come up on the screen. His name is Richard Allen Farmer. And he is the one that is credited with this next statement. I will trust in the Lord until I die. This guy is a brilliant orator. He is a musician. He is an adventurer. He is a phenomenal human being. And he pastors a church in Atlanta. I will trust in the Lord until I die. Now, I don't know if this is original from him, but he's, it was original from him to me. So he gets the credit. I will trust in the Lord until I die. Folks, you can live a faith rest life in a world of turmoil. Simply make a faith choice, not a fear choice. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you've allowed us to spend in your word. Thank you for each person here that has heard the word of God today. Lord, I ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, will speak to each one of our hearts things that we need to know individually from this talk. May your word permeate deep into our beings, and may we be different because we today have come in contact with the word of the living God. The I am has spoken through his word to each one of us. Now, may we be hearers of the word, hear the word and be doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen.